0: Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Mary Ann Mazurek, a lead consultant for employee engagement practice at GP Strategies. Mary Ann, hello. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you, glad to be here.
0: So I hope you're doing well and staying healthy and safe. Definitely, trying. Trying, okay, as are we all. So our topic today is the art and science of hiring for fit, meaning making hiring decisions based on how likely candidates are to be a good fit for your uh, organization's culture, which I think on the surface seems pretty obvious and also reasonable. But research has shown that thinking in terms of fit this way, and uh, listeners can't see that I just use finger quotes around the word fit, that thinking in terms of fit this way can be a problem. So Marianne, how so?
1: So when you hear people talking about things like, he's not a fit for our culture, or I'm not sure she would fit with our team, what they may actually be saying is, those people don't look like us, and they don't think like us. And in that context, fit is actually a code word for bias. And bias is really based on stereotypes and preconceived notions about people, and it affects our our behavior and our decisions in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, so that's not good fit.
0: Okay. So that's not good fit. So obviously you don't, you you don't want to make hiring decisions based on very narrow biases and mm-hmm. you don't want to end up with a workforce consisting of people who all are in lockstep, who all look the same, who all think the same and just follow along with the crowd. But at the same time, you, you also, you, you don't want to hire someone who is obviously going to be a bad fit, meaning who has all kinds of red flags that might suggest that they're going to cause problems or not thrive in your organization. So what's the best way for leaders to thread that needle and to develop a talent pipeline filled with a diverse range of candidates who are independent thinkers and creative thinkers, but who are also going to be a good fit for the organization in a good way? how right. how can leaders achieve that
1: so i i have two thoughts here one is when we're thinking about fit we want to be thinking about it in terms in two ways one is what are the requirements of the role what are the skills the experiences the other expertise that someone needs to demonstrate to move the organization forward and How do these people connect? Do they engage with the organization's mission and stated values? Are they energized by who you are as an organization and what you stand for? So when you're thinking about fit, you want to focus on the role. And you don't want to focus on your own values. You want to focus on the organization's values. So that's what we mean by fit. Then the second part of your question is like, how do you make talent decisions based on that? Right. And one of the <laughs> tried and true, true ways to do that is actually behavior-based interviewing. Hmm. And it's not just the interview itself. What you want to do is identify what are the requirements of the role. You want to think about the behaviors associated with the values of your organization. You want to make sure you ask questions that... Uh, reflect that analysis. Then you want to make sure that you're asking everybody the same questions, whether it's someone coming in from the inside or someone who's moving from one team to another. And then you want to have a sense in the decision-making process, you want to really keep to that objective analysis. So what you don't want to have happen in a conversation is something like, Oh, she would, she, we really connected. We really clicked. And I think she would be a great addition to our Friday night game night. Instead, Mm. you want people to be talking about the examples that the candidate gave of how they acted quickly and made decisions, which I'll use as an example because that's a value of an organization I know.
0: Okay. So that would be, so one question that you might ask is simply, can you tell me about a a situation where you had to act quickly and make a tough decision? How did you go about that? That would be an example of Mm -hmm. that kind of questions. Can you give me some other examples of the kinds of questions that'll help you get beyond that? And by you, if you're, you know, a hiring manager or an HR person doing an interview to help you avoid hiring people who are going to be fun to hang out with. Or you just feel like oh they're they that you personally Mm -hmm. what other kinds of questions are you going to ask to get at what you're really looking for
1: so the questions themselves should be focused on a particular example or situation so you had a a great example there where you said can you tell me about a situation when Mm -hmm. then you can follow up by saying what what did you need to do what did you do, and how did it turn out? So there's actually a model a lot of folks use, we talk about it often with clients, which is a star model. So it's situation, task, action, result. So if you focus on specific examples, that's a great way to then explore specific requirement or Behavior innovation is another good one where it might be, tell me about a time where you were presented with a a problem and you couldn't approach it in the way you normally would. How did you handle that? What did you do differently? That type of question will reflect innovation. What is actually more important than the question is the process of making sure that if you have a number of people talking to candidates and being part of the decision-making process, that they're all asking similar questions Mm -hmm. and that you ask everybody who you're talking to the same question. So if you ask me about innovation, but then you ask the next person about what they like to do on Friday nights, um, there's an inequitable process there. So the yeah. consistency drives equity in so the process. So
0: d- do you want to ask similar questions or do you l- literally want to ask the same que- the Same questions.
1: Same questions, same, question, same order, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, because it's a more scientific process that way. Mm-hmm. Then you get a data set based mm-hmm. on asking the same questions and you can compare one candidate to the other more accurately.
1: And without going too much further into the weeds of behavior-based interviewing, you actually, the other piece of the process is you want to make sure that you have agreement on what a good response is Mm. so that everybody is using the same touchstone when talking about whether or not someone's a good fit.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's great. Because I was going to ask, what are you listening for? And let me follow up. So you have to have some agreement on what a good answer would be, or at least what an answer would be that would put one candidate above another. What are some red flags that you're listening for that would say, ah, Ooh, this person in fact might not be a good fit in a good way, right? That that this person would not be a good fit, not based on biases, but in a way that could actually be a problem for our organization.
1: So I think, You want to pay attention to the specificity of a response. And sometimes you need to do a little bit of follow up digging to push up. Someone's using language like we, we did this, or, and they're not using I language. That could be a red flag that they're talking about something they might have been on the periphery for but not actually responsible for and that's more related to the requirements of the roles. But there, people tend to, they may get off-topic a bit or they may use vague language or they may have an opinion and an opinion is one thing, an example of what you actually did to live out a particular value or drive innovation that's another
0: Mm -hmm. okay good very interesting now you said before that what you're trying to avoid is leaning into your own biases and making hiring decisions based on what a person looks like obviously or just that they're going to be they're going to be fun to hang out with at on game night but (laughs) but at the same time is it not at least somewhat important to gauge someone's personality, insofar as you, I'm guessing here, right? That y- you want to hire people who you get a sense they're going to get along with people, they're going to be a good colleague, they're going to be someone who people do like to be around. D- does is there any place for that at all?
1: If you can get to that with the types of questions that. I've described yes. I would say for the most part, no. And I think this is one of one of the challenges we have. So in terms of getting along, if you ask a question about how someone worked with team members or handled conflict, or there are specific questions you can ask about your work environment that can give you a sense of how people will fit in. But you have to be really careful because I'm pretty extroverted. I think out loud. If I'm interviewing someone who doesn't talk a lot, I can't make the, that, that's potentially bias against someone mm. who's more introverted. If, and I might say, gee, Jeremy didn't really say much. And then have that influence the decision-making process. And that's not fair that's really an example of bias.
0: Okay. Fair enough. So now uh, another factor is the pool from which you're looking (laughs) for candidates, right? So how much does that matter? To what extent should leaders and hiring managers be thinking about expanding their candidate pool?
1: It is so important and it is also, I think one of the hardest things for leaders to do. Certainly, HR recruiters have an understanding of that. And and leaders do, I think, intellectually. Every, everybody gets that you want to have a larger pool to, to have as your pipeline. And yet, the challenge is there's not a lot of time. Managers and leaders are really, hiring managers are really busy and you want to go back to the well. If something worked in the past, it's um, really tempting to say, "Let's go back there." And I've seen this happen in a number of organizations. There was one large technology firm I worked with, and they had—I would call it—education bias. Essentially, their, they, had, especially in their early years, they had pulled from Caltech, MIT and Stanford as places where they pulled their software engineers and great schools makes a lot of sense, but it limited them in terms of their candidate pool. But And it had worse effects because it also was a disengagement factor for the people who worked there who didn't go to those universities. So there was, it really wasn't an inclusive environment. And what we're driving for is diversity and inclusion. So you want people who look different and who think different and have different experiences. And you also want those people to feel like they're valued and they can contribute fully. And that example, where there was such a, a focus put on a few universities, really undermined diversity and inclusion.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. I think it's only natural for HR folks, for anybody really, to keep returning to the, the same talent pool, to gravitate mm-hmm. toward candidates who fit certain criteria, to, to do what you've been doing it can be really hard to break those patterns. We all have biases, right? Some that most of the time we're not even really aware of. So what can leaders do to challenge HR to mix it up a little bit and change some of those ingrained patterns and habits?
1: And it's interesting because in some cases, the leader needs to say, I need to expand my pool. In other cases, HR needs to convince the leaders Mm to do the same because expedience and aversion to risk are definitely factors. So I think it's really important for a leader to set the tone and to challenge their their colleagues and ask, are we reaching out to the same people? Have we tried, where else are we looking? Have we identified new sources? Sometimes employee relations group groups or affinity employee resource groups and affinity groups can be good places to go because you can tap into networks of employees who represent underserved or um, underrepresented populations. So the ERGs can be a useful source, but I think it's constantly asking those questions. Are the same people getting the opportunities? Because we're talking a lot about hiring from the outside, but there's a whole aspect here of how are you developing people within your organization? Mm -hmm. And that's all part of building a talent pipeline as well. Mm -hmm. Who's getting the opportunities in the plum projects? And if a leader can keep asking those questions and, and challenging people to look elsewhere and to talk to new people, and if a leader can also create a safe environment where it's take a risk, bring someone in who isn't from Caltech and let's work with them. I think the leader needs to set the tone that way. Does mm-hmm. that make sense?
0: Yeah. So the, the leader needs to lead. <laughs> yep. To set the tone, and as you said, it's not just top down. It's right. the and part maybe part of that tone is the leader needs to create an environment where folks who are in middle management or even below can have ideas and make them known and even challenge the leader to, oh. to lead in a different way, perhaps.
1: Absolutely, and it it really needs to be across the work group or the work environment. So there are a lot of things that we're not talking about today around diversity and inclusion that we've talked about, our colleagues have talked about in other sessions around having an inclusive mindset as a leader. And that's not something that you just have at the top. It's really something that frontline managers need to hold. And the challenge with mindset is you need to stay aware and be purposeful and keep it on your radar. Mm-hmm. And in it's not always easy to do that. And when we're talking about talent management and the um, types of things that you and I are talking about today, talent management sometimes gets pushed aside so that it's something you do in addition to the business, like your mm-hmm. day job. And the reality is if you're not paying attention to that, it's going to end up biting you down the road because you're not going to have the, the skills and abilities and the creativity that a more diverse workforce will bring you.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great point. And, and really it leads to my next question, which is what's really at stake here. So. What what happens when a company doesn't keep that top of mind, doesn't make the extra effort to develop a talent pipeline that's going to result in that diverse workforce? Part of the consequence is going to be you're not going to have a diverse workforce, but so what?
1: So I think there may be three consequences here. One is you may not achieve your goals as an organization and there's been a lot more research now there are a number of studies that are um, equating more diverse organizations and diversity um, in these studies is usually ethnic racial and, and gender but the organizations in the top quartiles of diversity have higher financial returns so there's research out there that's connecting the dots on business results. Then you have additional studies that say inclusive teams tend to have higher retention and they also tend to be more innovative and productive. So these are teams where you not only have people who come from different backgrounds and different ways of thinking, but they're in an environment where they can speak up and they can contribute and they feel valued. That's really important to have. Mm -hmm. The third piece is if you're not seen as a diverse and inclusive organization, you're not necessarily going to have a lot of success in recruiting people to change that picture. When nowadays, as we're talking, unemployment's higher than it was a year ago. But you still need to be an employer of choice, and you still need to be. People want to work in an environment where there are other people like them, where there's a, a commitment to diversity and inclusion, and it's not just in words, but it's in actions. So mm-hmm. that that once you're that can be a really tough situation to dig yourself out of.
0: Absolutely. So, Marianne, what's the number one thing that leaders can be, begin doing today, right now, to put their organization on a path to making more thoughtful and creative hiring decisions?
1: All right. Can I give you two? Sure. All right. The first is to be intentional about your own biases as a leader. And again, there are a lot of, there's a lot that's been written around having an inclusive mindset. But I think being paying attention to your own biases will then help you with the second piece, which is really remembering to ask those questions and setting the tone and saying, we need to build out the pipeline. We need to fill these positions, but expedience cannot overrule or outweigh diversity and inclusion. And expedience cannot end. Let's make sure when we're talking about fit, because that's actually where we started the Mm -hmm. conversation. We're looking at fit with who we are, with the mission of our organization, and the values that um, we hold dear, and the requirements of the job. So it's not about who who your best friend is going to be.
0: Mhm. Yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying is if you want to have a diverse workforce, you need to make that a priority in a, yeah. in a very explicit way or it's not just going to magically happen.
1: Yeah, and it's hard. I it's it's easy for me to talk about it. And I acknowledge that it's, it's something that requires an investment of time and effort and purpose,
0: mm-hmm. but I think yeah. it's worth it. Yeah, it's, and it's a process, right? Not something that yeah. just happens right away or you do it once and you're done. I was having a, a similar discussion recently on this topic, and the person I was talking to made the good point that achieving this might be getting even more difficult because now that companies are more open to hiring people from wherever they are and, and not requiring them to move so that people can work remotely, there's more. the competition is more fierce for the top talent. So if, if part of getting the best candidates means, as we've been talking about, diverse candidates and meaning people who, who value diversity and are going to help promote that in your organization... You're not alone. A lot of companies are looking for that. And so it's going to take even more effort and more deliberate action to to make that happen for your your organization.
1: It's an interesting, I I think it cuts both ways. Because at the same time we were talking about expanding the pool, all of a sudden you may not need to stay in the New York City area. You Mm -hmm. may be able to go to other parts of the country. So there's opportunity there. And I think you want to... You want to move on it (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that what you're describing doesn't happen.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, Marianne, thanks so much for a really great discussion.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And to our listeners, thanks for listening. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com podcasts.